Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode number 94 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. Well, welcome to the show, guys. So good to have you here. Hope you're having a, uh, a great start to the week. What have I been doing today? Mondays, I'm trying to go device-free, so this is my only time I'm opening up my laptop on a Monday. I've had my phone switched off all day, and now just getting into the laptop and starting to get back into the, the technology of the day. But uh, excited to have uh, Jonathan Astley on. We'll be talking to him in a minute. He's a relationship expert, and we were just having a nice chat about self-love before uh, we went live here, which has been a really, uh, really big part of my journey, especially over the last year. I mentioned in a couple of posts this week that the last few weeks have been pretty tough. You know, I'm okay, I'm surviving, and there's been a lot of growth in this part of the journey. But self-love has been a big part of the last couple of weeks for me and getting through this period. So I'm excited to dive in and talk about that. So let's not muck around. Let me introduce Jonathan. He is uh, the leading midlife dating and relationship coach, and he studies male behavior and also listens to what uh, women want and then has a very unique way of marrying the two. He's been through his own rock bottom moment and his own journey to find self-love. And he joins me now. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. And uh, so you're technology free today, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, well. teach me how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's so crazy. Like it's so challenging to do it, but it's so rewarding. You know, by the time I get to 5.30 in the evening with having not looked at my phone all day, it feels so good. There's a sense of calm that comes over me, which I very much I, enjoy. I was once at a retreat where they take your phones away for you for seven days. And I mean, the first couple of days, I'm like jonesing and I'm freaking out. And by the end, I'm like, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I survived without looking at technology for a whole week. Yeah, and, we did that uh, at our retreats as well. It's one of my favorite things to do. And like the, <laughs> the excuses at the start, I need my camera, I need to be able to take photos, I need yeah. to have my phone on for the kids, I've got to check my yeah. messages. Yeah, it's, it's hard to get it away from people. They let me cheat, though. I had to make arrangements to get a ride back. So I was allowed to go on for one hour, three days before it ended. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about this t-shirt. First of all, it's the, the self-love club. Tell me about that. You know, I just Googled, uh, or I mean, I went on Amazon looking for t-shirts, anything that said self-love. And this was the only one that came up, or at least the one I found. So I said I had to get it, and I'm I'm creating my own T-shirt line related to self-love, and um, it's kind of given me some ideas. So that's why I'm wearing, and plus it's appropriate for our our uh, podcast today. Absolutely, yeah. I'm glad you wore it. So self-love, as I mentioned in the intro, has been a very important part yeah. of my life. And you know, to start with, I didn't really know what it what it was. I, I guess like I you, you hear it a lot in personal development circles conceptually, yeah. but I didn't really have a felt experience of what that was. And I'm I'm starting to get more and more in tune with that. Uh, yeah. you've had your own journey towards self love that's involved uh, a sort of a rock bottom moment and a few moments of tragedy. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So you know when I think back to my journey and, and I'm a good twenty years your senior, I think back Thank to you. my twenties and thirties, uh, <laughs> I was very testosterone driven, very motivated, very goal oriented kind of personality. And, and in a way, I was very myopic to the world. It was all about the world, according to Jonathan. And in 2005, my 12 year marriage was ending. And literally within a few weeks of my, you know, my wife and I deciding to move on, 
the company I worked for decided to lay me off and I had a quarter million dollar a year job. And so all of a sudden, my professional identity started to just like collapse in front of me. I'm going through a divorce. And then to make matters worse, in 2008, the market crashed and I lost all the money I had. And I had accumulated a seven-figure bank account. So to literally hit rock bottom emotionally, you know, I was devastated. And, and I was resorting to drugs and alcohol for coping. I was actually resorting mostly to online dating as a way to cope. I was, I was, I, I was addicted to the, to the process of, or I was addicted to talking to women all the time. And there was a, back in 2005, six and seven, it was a whole different world using yeah. the internet back then. And, and I reached the lowest point in my life right around that time. And I remember the movie The Secret came out and I watched the movie and I go, oh, wait a minute. This is something I remembered 10 years earlier because I was I was into metaphysics. And I, my first book I ever got was by Louise Hay called You Can Heal Your Life. So that was in 1989. I bought that book. I got involved with metaphysics. But when I met my wife, I stopped practicing some any sort of self-help, self-discovery until I went through this crash. And it was the movie, what, you know, the, the secret and what the bleep. And then I just started to follow different people, including, you know, Tony Robbins, who is incredibly popular in the personal development world, amongst others, including Wayne Dyer. And I mean, the list goes on and on. And what I recognized was that investment in self-help, personal development and spirituality, in essence, was rebuilding who I was on the inside. And why this is so important for, in, in this particular conversation, because for your listeners, last year, I lost my 19-year-old son. He died in his sleep unexpectedly. It was out of the blue. And I thought losing a child was going to be the worst thing that ever happened to me. I mean, I thought that from the day where they were, I have two boys, and I thought the day that each one was born, I, the worst thing that could ever happen to me is losing one or both my children. Yeah. And why I'm bringing this up in this part of the segment is that I had done all this personal development work prior to that when this happened, it didn't devastate my life. It was almost as if it was a vaccination to chaos by investing in who I was and getting to know who I was as a person. And in the, you know, in the 14 years in between my divorce and now, I've done a tremendous amount of interpersonal work, personal development work, self-help, spirituality. And that is what self-love is all about. Self-love is really, it's like nurturing your soul. So you can have a strong soul that when things go wrong, you're prepared. It's like going into battle. You know, like when people go into the army, they, tr they go through boot camp and they go through training. So when they're actually in battle, they're prepared for it. Well, that's what a personal development practice is, a self-discovery practice, is preparing you not just for the chaos, but also how to live in inner peace, how to live a, a peaceful life. And that's what I'm a big proponent of. So do you see, you know, I, I left my 16-year uh, flying career two years ago. Okay. And being a pilot has a big identity attached to it, big ego attached yeah. to it. And so when I left that, that was one of the most shocking things to me is like not having this identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but 
it's, it wasn't necessarily a rock bottom moment, but it was a, a moment of self-discovery. And in hindsight now, divorce, losing money, losing your job, do you see that as happening, something that happened for you that allowed to take you on this journey? Or is it something you still wish didn't happen? Oh, you know what? I look back at it. I'm grateful for every raunchy, terrible experience I've gone through. Because just like how you make a, a steel sword, you know, it's, it's forged in fire and it's beaten and beaten and beaten to make it stronger. So I lived a very egoic life before then. And had I not had what I call humbling, I had a very humbling moment and I've had what I call micro humbling moments. But a humbling moment, it was an allowed me an opportunity to find who really am I? It allowed me to look inside. And uh, there's a line in the movie, when you look into the abyss and don't see your, your reflection staring back at you, that's where you find your character. And that's what happened for me. So I'm grateful for it. Certainly, I wish I had done things differently. There's, there's some elements I'd want I'd done differently. But I'm happy now. And despite, you know, I don't live in a $2 million home anymore. I still live in a nice place and overlook the ocean and such. But I may not have the material things, but the material things don't mean as much to me anymore. Mm. As much as it is to have nurturing friendships and a real connection with others. And that's what a self-love practice brings in one's life is deeper connections with people, deeper connections both within yourself and with those others around you. And, and even, especially even strangers, all of a sudden you become more compassionate to other people because you've filled your own cup up with, and, and by the way, it's a constantly pouring cup. It's never going to be filled. It's, it, you know, there's this idea you have to fill your love cup up before you can love others. No, it's a constantly, you're pouring love in your life all the time. It's never going to fill up until maybe the, the moment you pass. <laughs> yeah. I just want to backtrack slightly. So the, the just the idea of this rock bottom moment, you know, the, yeah. it's such an opportunity to bring us into a spiritual awareness, to wake us up, to look at self-love. It's one of those moments where when we have one of those rock bottom moments, divorce, a death, someone close to us, running out of money, those kind of things. Uh, yeah. It's an opportunity. We're, se- we're seeking, we're searching for things to answer our questions, to end our pain. And it's an opportunity to kind of find some of those answers. And I think as you explore that, as you find some of those you know, as you're challenged, like you say, when you look into the abyss and you don't see your own reflection, those are the moments when you start to really learn who you are. Yeah. So like you said, when it comes to something as terrible as your your son dying, there's a new awareness there that allows you to go through it. Still obviously incredibly tragic and sad. Yeah. But there he is right new, there. <laughs> yeah. Were you guys close? Oh, yeah, very close uh, to my son. So very blessed. Uh, and by the way, I mean, just for the record for your audience, I lost my mom six months before him. And, and then six months after my son passed, my father decided to move back to his home country in Europe. So I literally lost one half of my blood family in one year. Wow. How do you even understand that or comprehend it? You know, first and foremost, and, and, you know, it's interesting because I've spent time in some grief groups and, you know, a lot of people are in the pain of the grief. They're, they're grieving through suffering. And I made a choice to do what I call grieve with love. And what that means is loving myself, loving others, and coming to a, a level of acceptance for all of it. Because 
when I really started to think about death, now I, by the way, for your audience members, I don't believe we die. I believe our spirit carries on beyond this, this mortal realm, this body, you know, this realm. So I just see it as a transition to a different form with my, my mother and my son. But what's fascinating is, as human beings, and here in the United States, we tend to fear death. We tend to push it away. It's tend to not be talked about. A lot of people feel uncomfortable talking to me about my son, fearing that it's going to trigger me and whatnot. I'm like the opposite. Hey, I can tell you anything you want about him. It brings me joy to talk about him. But there's this almost taboo around death. and, And it should be the other way around. Because when we let go of the fear of death, we can actually, I suspect, enjoy the juicy fruit of life. And I just saw the Ram Dass movie, uh, Becoming Nobody. And one of the critical points, at least the way I interpret it, was when you let go of the I, what death means, you actually begin to embrace life. Mm. And so how do I cope with it? I just go, hey, they're in a different realm. I, I see signs from them all the time. My mother happens to come in a, in a brown butterfly. My son's nickname is Salty. And people send me emails all the time. With a, they, They're walking on the street. They see a t-shirt that says salty on it. They take a picture and send it to me. I literally every week get two, three, or four messages from other people saying, hey, I saw this t-shirt, which to me is my son saying, hey, I just want to let you know I'm around. How did he get the nickname? <laughs> so he had a habit of pouring a lot of salt on his food <laughs> and it would spill onto his lap. So his friends used to call him salty balls. And then everything salty was a derivative of that. He used to keep salt packages wherever he, he literally carried salt shaker wherever he went. He was just somewhat addicted to salt. That's amazing. There's a lot of these concepts I think we will understand theoretically. You know, where we go, okay, I get that I need to embrace death. I get that I should, you know, surrender all these kind of things. What are the practices that have actually helped you? Yeah, great question. You know, I'm a huge proponent of daily personal development. I mean daily. And, and you know, Tony Robbins calls it the hour of power. I often suggest a minimum of 15 minutes a day of some self-help, personal development, spiritual practice at a minimum of 15 minutes a day. And and if you can invest an hour, great. Because if you think about it, when you look at the body of of time, you know, how many episodes of The Bachelor do you really need in your life? You know, how many episodes, how many sports games do you really need that's actually going to enhance your life versus the actual investment in yourself? And so one of the reasons why I wrote my book, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway, which for those, this is what it is. <laughs> what the heck is self-love anyway? It's a great um, title. Thank you. The idea is to begin a daily practice. And so my practice starts with an eight o'clock um, call I do every morning with a group. It's a study group. We, um, we study the book, A Course in Miracles, which now I'm going to say this, this might offend some people, but this is the way I think the Bible should have been written. That's just my interpretation. I don't mean to offend anyone. But it's just basically without all the religion, and it's all about loving yourself. It's really a practice of just learning how to love yourself. And now, I read the book by myself, and it was like wading through molasses, going through quicksand while you're in spaghetti. It was that difficult. 
I recommend anyone who's interested in it do it in a group because that's how it's it takes a while to get a sense of what it's all about. It's a big book, yeah. But it, it's not just that. It might be watching a Wayne Dyer video. It might be watching a Brene Brown video. It might be, you know, picking up the book The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. It's a brilliant book. And my recommendation, by the way, this would be the first book I'd recommend anyone to buy if you haven't already gotten it. And just read one chapter a day. It takes 15 minutes to read a chapter. And in 19 days, it will profoundly change your life. And then after that, buy Marianne Williamson's book, Return to Love. I mean, those two back to back is like the stepping stones, I believe, to really nurturing your own soul. So you're a firm believer of using external influences to kind of keep you in the conversation, to keep you thinking in the right direction. Well, there's absolutely, and, and that's not to discount one's own individual meditation practice, because that's the journey to go inside and to learn how to become still and quiet and present. You know, the vast majority of people suffer from this one thing, and that's called lack of presence. They're either, you know, we, and I'm included in this, so either have it a habit of thinking in the future or focusing on the past and really learning how to be in the now, as Eckhart Tolle talks about, is a tremendously freeing practice. So by learning how to do it within oneself, and meditation is probably one of the best tools for doing that, is it's both external and internal. Yeah, I was just listening to Eckhart Tolle on uh, Oprah's uh, okay. podcast. They did it. Yeah a 10 podcast series at the start of the year where they went through each chapter of The Power of Now. Yeah. No, not The Power of Now. It's The, the New Earth. Is other okay, books. The New Earth, yeah. Yeah, and I've just been listening to them every morning. I, I sort of get up early, meditate, and then go for a walk, and I've been listening to them this week. And, man, it's it's such profound stuff. So I'm really... So you brought up, you brought up going out for a walk and why I wanted to pause there for a second. So one of the chapters in my book is Fall in Love with Nature. And I'm a huge proponent of getting out into nature. You know, now I happen to live by the ocean, so I'm very fixated on the water and whatnot. But whether you live by the ocean, by a forest, by a, by a park, whatever, physically get out in nature because that connects us to the earth. And that's a grounding experience that, and when you think about it, the earth is the most stable thing in our lives, right? It's, I mean, <laughs> I mean, unless you're standing over a sinkhole, but, <laughs> <laughs> so it's important, I believe, to get out in nature to learn how to root yourself because that root creates that inner stability within oneself. So when chaos does happen, you already become rooted into being able to, to, to navigate through that so-called chaos. Yeah, Eckhart's, one of Eckhart's practices is to go and just be with uh, a flower or a tree. And don't yes. label it, don't see it as a tree, don't see it as a flower, but just go and sit yeah. with it. So I, was, I live next to the High Line here in Chelsea, which is like such an iconic, beautiful thing. Oh. Full of trees and nature and flowers. And so there I was at 7 o'clock this morning just staring at a tree yeah. <laughs> on the High Line with people jogging past me, just trying to get, get into the moment. But it does allow you to drop right into that present moment and just, just be with something without thought. Yeah. And that's a beautiful self-love practice. And so... And I want to share another part of my book. You know, it, it's there's so many different aspects to self-love and how to nurture oneself. And and my first chapter, I wanted to share this with your with your audience, is what's called speak your truth, do it with kindness. And oftentimes I've witnessed that people in the United States have a hard time. Well, 
some people have no filter. They don't, they speak their truth without, they speak it without a filter, which means they're just saying whatever they feel is the truth, which oftentimes isn't very kind. I've heard East Coast people are like that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not knocking East Coast. I'm just saying I've heard that they, they talk without a filter as if that's a great thing. But I want to say it's about speaking up, speaking what's in your heart and doing it with kindness. Because what makes that an important self-love practice is that there's always another person engaged with you when you're communicating, like you and I are communicating with each other one now. If I just shared with you my judgment about you just because that's my truth, doesn't mean that it's your truth. And so it's presumptuous to me to believe my judgment of you is your truth. So how about if I just express how I might feel about you in a kind way because, and this is hugely important, we're, we're in a divided world here in the United States. We're in a, especially in the political realm, and there's a lot of lacking kindness out there. And I'm a huge proponent of speaking up but doing kindness and why that self-love is because many people stuff their truth. There's some people that are outwardly vocal about it, but with no filter. And then there's so many that are afraid to speak up and one of the best self-love practices is learning how to get that out of you. Mm, yeah, it's one of the things I always say when I'm on podcasts. They always yeah. say on podcasts, like, what's one bit of wisdom you want to leave the audience? And I always say, uh, be honest with yourself. Yeah. Just start with that. Start with writing out exactly what you think and feel and stop pretending everything's fine. We sure. are living, you know, it's interesting because I'm also a dating coach. And so I, I've adopted what I call something called compassionate dating. and the reason why I'm a huge proponent of this is that, okay, so you're a guy. I'm going to say this. What do most guys think about on a date? Okay. <laughs> what, okay what most men think about first and foremost? What's the first thing? we? Uh, are they hot? Am I going to have Okay, <laughs> exactly. Sex, right? So we all know that's the way most men operate. I'm not saying all men, but most men operate. We know that about men, right? But my point is, we are if we adopt that we already know that, we can approach the process differently. But this has nothing to do with the sex piece. I'm just using that to illustrate a point. Most people are wounded. They're hurt inside. Tony Robbins even says that average, every human being is suffering from not feeling good enough inside, not feeling like. I don't care how how their bravado looks on the outside and how confident and secure on the outside they are, they might be suffering on the inside. So I make the assumption that everyone's hurting a bit. And what that means is I show up in the process of dating more compassionate to another person's experience rather than focused only about my experience. We are in a very, you know, especially here in the United States, we're very self-absorbed in the dating practice. It's all about getting my needs and wants met first. Again, it's myopic in the way people approach it. And I'm a proponent to come at it from a more of a compassionate way, understanding that the person sitting across the table from you might be, might feel insecurity, might have flaws, might have fears, but we're bombarded with holding, you know, confidence is sexy, you know, and you know, it's the only way you're going to get, it's going to be attractive if you show off confidence. Fuck, we're all fucked up <laughs> to some degree. It's just a matter of degrees, you know? And, and I don't mean, and by the way, I don't mean to offend anyone when I say the word fucked up. I mean, we've all got issues. And so why not start from a place of compassion 
by understanding that's the way everybody is feeling, most likely, no matter what they show on the outside. And what do you think that gives access to? Like when you show up that way, does it allow more connection? Does it allow them to kind of let their guard down a little bit? Yeah, you're opening your heart to love because you're not here with a, you know, if you're not focused on the destination, you're just focused on being present, which you, it gives you an opportunity to connect with another human being. You know, people say that the dating process shouldn't be an interview. I'm like saying the opposite. It's an absolute interview, but the interview can be a loving format. <laughs> and the interview is like, hey, I want to get to know you as a human being. Tell me all about your your fears, your insecurities, your hopes, your dreams. Tell me it all. I mean, not all in one moment, one sitting, because that might be like gluttony. But the idea is to dive into the deeper aspects of connection versus the surface aspect of connection. Because here's the problem. If most people date on a surface level, and then they connect, they have sex together, they become attached to one another, only to find out they're completely incompatible with one another. Yeah, this, uh, let me stop you there. So, well, first of all, let me say hi to Holly. She says, what a okay. beautiful human that you are, which is lovely. Oh, and, uh, you or me? <laughs> she says it to me a lot, so I assume okay. it's, it's to you. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, if you're watching and you have any questions uh, for Jonathan, feel free to ask them anything on self-love, relationships, dating as we go along, being in the comments and we'll try and get to them. Yeah, two things you brought up. When I'm on a date with a guy, uh, first of all, I've got my like checklist out. Like, okay. If he meets all the requirements as we're talking. So uh, it's kind of, uh, as you're talking, I see, oh, it's the opposite of that compassionate thing. It's like, I'm trying to see, like, uh, do you tick all the boxes? Yeah. Uh, I imagine it's pretty common for both men and women. The second thing is I, I'm quite good, I think, because I'm a coach and an interviewer. I'm very good at asking questions and listening. Yeah. And so I, I'm okay with, like, going deep and getting connected with someone. But I find it much harder to share myself that way. Mm. Well, stop that. Start sharing. <laughs> I mean, come on, just start sharing. You know, because here's the thing: unless it's a secret, you know, I, again, unless it's a secret that you feel like nobody should know, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid to share? You know, I, I'll share with you. My dating profile says I have insecurities and flaws, like most people, and then I go on to say I totally get freaked out by condiments. Like mustard and ketchup literally grosses me out. And I wrote that right in my profile. Now, I mean, it's kind of a benign fear, but it demonstrates that I'm a human being. And so I have fear of like not being liked. You know, here's the thing. I know my partner is going to hear that and go, wow, I appreciate the authenticity. It's not focused on what I said. It's focused on the authenticity, the transparency, the vulnerability. That's true attraction for someone who is also in the same space. Because if we're operating from ego, we only want the best from another person, and we're only gonna show the mask of our best selves. And that relationship will collapse at some point in time. I mean, it's destined to, mm -hmm. unless, you know, I mean, most likely, if you're showing up with all from an egoic place, at some point, there's gonna be a disconnect. So how do you show up from, let's call it the higher self, for the point of this conversation. How do you show up as your higher self and still have fun and be playful and be flirtatious? And Great question. So one of the proponents or the, one of the concepts I have in compassionate dating is to get really crystal clear on who you are and what you want in relationships. So you had your little checklist there, but what I suspect is in, in, in my checklist, it's about 
okay, do we share the same values? Do we have blendable lifestyles? And are you an emotional grown-up? Okay, those are three of the four legs of a successful relationship. The fourth leg is chemistry. And you're going to know that in 10 seconds, you know, so, you know, relatively within a short period of time. So that one's going to be an easy one to answer. Shared values. Okay, well, checking in, what are the most common values people, you know, are, are important to them? And it's not honesty, integrity, and trust. I mean, those are givens, you know, like in geometry, there's the first equation is what's called a given. That's a given. But your values, like a great example is the difference between people that voted for for the president voted for the the one who lost, you know? I mean, like, you know, that probably represents two different types of people in the way their values are. And so or it might be your politics. It might be your relationship with money. And so it's important to kind of get a sense of where your values lie and do we share the same values. And what you're looking for mostly is, does the other person have extremes? Are they an extreme category or are you both in the, the centrist category, if you will? So that's shared values, blendable lifestyles. You know, it's interesting because of the internet. I'm in Los Angeles. I, I could be communicating with someone in New York, right? Mm. But which is great. We got this chemistry going. We might be doing Skype or whatnot, only to find out that neither one of us, our lifestyles are going to blend. So Ask the questions of whether or not you have compatible lifestyles, blendable lifestyles. So someone who lives 30 miles from me that's raising children, got a full-time job and does Pilates every night, barely has one hour a week for a relationship, and I have a tremendous amount of time for a relationship, that might be, a, we may not have compatible lifestyles, an example. Now, the hard part here, Nathan, is emotional maturity. That's the real tough one. So I have a question that I typically invite people to ask. And that is, tell me what you learned from your last relationship after you've asked, how did your last relationship end? What you're looking for is, are they pointing the finger? Or how am I doing this? <laughs> are they pointing the finger and blaming the other person or did they take responsibility for their part in the ending of the relationship? That gives you a huge clue as mm -hmm. to whether or not they take responsibility and are they emotionally mature? Because it's always two people that end a relationship, not one. And what I mean by that is it, when I say end it, is there's two people involved in a relationship when it ends. So there is a part we all play, even if the other person does the ending. And how much of this? So one of the questions we got for you uh, okay. was, uh, especially for people in, in midlife dating, Okay, how has technology changed dating uh, for people in that generation? How are they using technology and how has it changed it? And the, the follow-up to what you just yeah. said is, can you filter some of those three things you know, through your, your profile and through chat before you ever meet the person? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start with the latter question. So absolutely, with technology, I mean, you're able to filter some of those things out. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Before there was the internet, most of the time, the people that you went out on a date were in your general proximity. In other words, they were in your purview. Most likely, you probably grew up with them in a small town, you went to college with them, or maybe you worked with them. Most likely, someone you met was someone you already knew. So there was already some built-in familiarity before you ever asked them out on a date. Now with technology, we are meeting complete strangers 
I mean, think about it. We're meeting absolute strangers for the first time. And what fascinates me, at least in the heterosexual world, and you'll have to tell me in the in gay and lesbian community, is how much expectation is involved based on gender, you know, in the dating realm to a total stranger. So, but let me go back to your question about filtering. Yeah, so you might filter out, hey, I don't want to have children. And if someone's profile says they want children, probably not a good match. Someone's a smoker and I don't like being around a smoker, probably not a good match. Uh, someone is, you know, I'm spiritual and I prefer to be with someone who's not a religious zealot. You know, may, that could be found out. So there's some filtering questions that dating, the internet form of dating does allow us, but technology has changed everything. Now, what's interesting in the midlife category, and for those listening, I define midlife as after baby making years and before retirement. So you're 42 to 69, that's the demographic I speak into. Roughly 50% of all new relationships are happening through an online connection. Now that's anecdotal, but I'm doing, I've been doing my own research on it. Almost half in my age demographic is meeting this way. So it will be higher actually. I'm saying it, it, I'm saying that's based on what I've been able to determine. It could be much higher. I'm just saying at a minimum, it's 50%. Mm. So it's a great form, but what's happened is it's changed a lot in the last two years with swipe applications. Ever since swipe came along, you know, we, you can just sit there and swipe, swipe, swipe. I think it's desensitized people and made them much poorer on their communication skills. So what it's the internet kind of, uh, commoditized exactly and commoditized dating and because it's done through virtual means, you know, think about communication is eighty percent nonverbal. So texting and telephone just doesn't relay all of communication. So people are both lazy, but now we're going through a lot more people than we ever did before. I mean, my mother dated one guy. Yeah. And they were married six, there they are. They were married 66 years before she passed away. One guy, okay? Mm. Now, I mean, it's not two out of the realm, 50, 100, 200, 300 people you might go through. And even then, you might be in a relationship and it ends and you got to go through more people. 66 guys, one year each. But that 66 for one year instead of one for 66 years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, technology is a blessing, but it's also created a desensitization because the process lacks compassion. It's all, I got to get my needs met. I got to get my needs met. It's not coming from a togetherness place. It's coming from an almost adversarial way mm -hmm. of approaching it. And there's a lot of, you know, when you date 66 people in one year, you get burnt out, bitter, and jaded. Yeah. We're just and not designed to do that. No. Human beings, I don't think words is... Well, I think we have a capacity to handle that much when we have a full self-love practice, mm. but the average person doesn't. So, I, you know, sex is a real uh, numbing agent for me when I'm not <laughs> feeling good about myself. Yeah. Um so I I notice like when I go on the apps, it's never when I'm feeling great. Yeah. <laughs> it's always when I'm feeling a bit shitty about myself. Yeah. Uh and 
And by the way, there's nothing like when someone swipes you and they swipe you and you go, ah, that dopamine hit, they like me. And yeah. you're like, I wasn't really interested. Let me just swipe them. <laughs> yeah, but it feels good though. <laughs> but it feels good in that moment. <laughs> yeah, but I, I've noticed the more I get into my self-love practice, the more I meditate and the more I'm just present and in my own body, that, that's dropping away more and more. And I don't have as much desire for, you know, hookup culture. Yeah. The, the hookup sort of thing. Uh, but the, the next phase, I'm not so sure about. You know, it doesn't feel like I, I want to date 20 people to find the next person that I want to spend time with. So it feels like a bit of a transition period. That's a great, you're in a great place right now to feel that. I know it's, we're we're challenged. I suspect you're challenged because there's this element where as human beings, we want companionship. We want physical touch, you know? I mean, we're thirsty for hugs. We really are. Even those people that are, you know, kind of repel them, they actually really, the, the people that repel them want it the most, actually, sure. most likely on the inside, their soul does. So what I've come to learn, and, and I'll share with your audience, because I was in a significant relationship that ended two years ago. And it was a six-year relationship. It was a beautiful conscious uncoupling. And we there was three conscious uncouplings before that, or three breakups before that, before the, the final one. Some practice. Yeah, we got some practice in some it. So, and when we uncoupled, one of the things I was able to do shortly thereafter was I went to, she actually, for my birthday, gifted me the Hoffman process, which was a inner child workshop here. And there's several of locations. For those listening, please Google the Hoffman process. And that was the retreat I was talking about where my phone was locked up for seven days. Uh, <laughs> so... And allowed me to explore really what's coming up for me in my life and the variety of different things to really work through my life. And I left there the last day. There was an exercise that literally I left with a blanket of self-love. I mean, I was like immersed in self-love and I got a taste of it. And then my mother passed away and I, you know, and then my son passed away. And so it's been a year since then. So in the last few years, I haven't been in relationship except I've been in a relationship with one person, and that's me. Mm. And so what I recognize is I needed the last years of my life to really get to know who I am on the inside. And the book that I wrote, with my, the book was birthed a few months after my son passed away, allowed me a deep dive into getting to know who I am while not being in relationship. And I feel very solid in my sovereignty right now. I feel very solid in who I am. So that allows me to show up. And I'm very studied in relationships. I mean, I study every book I can get my hands on, on how to be in a healthy, happy relationship. So I know I have the foundation for someone, but it took me all this time to get there. And you don't have to be my age to get there. I'd much rather people start at your age or even younger to develop a self-love practice because that is the foundation that will take you into a potential long-term loving committed relationship. When I did that inner child work, when I started doing that stuff, it it, it really flipped a switch for me mm. because trying to have self-love for me, it kind of didn't compute in some way, but yeah. having that idea of seeing a little boy and then, you know, for me, it's often when I'm uh, not feeling good, I'm scared of something, right? I'm scared of yeah. the future. Or I'm scared of something not going the way I want it. I'm scared of whatever. And so, 
looking at me going, come on, you're 35 years old. Stop being fucking scared about everything. But when yeah. I think about the six-year-old version of me that's scared because the world is big and scary and there's a lot of yeah. unknown and not everybody's nice and, you know, I can go, oh, man, come and give me a hug. I can have so much compassion for that. And yeah. you, you just need some love. Know that someone's on your side. Know that it's going to be okay. I'm yeah. here for you. And so that was such a tremendous access point to self-love for me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about what you just shared. And and I don't know if this you can relate to this, but what I've heard for the millennial demographic and the, the Gen Zs and the millennials is that there's this disconnect happening that was a little bit different in my generation where people don't have a, a solid tribe of friends. And when I was growing up, I had so many, I mean, so many close friends. Mm. And, and now in my life, I literally have a spiritual community. I have a tribe that yeah. when things aren't down, I have people to go to, go to lift my spirits. And what I've heard is that a lot of people in the, the younger demographics, and I'm talking about roughly in the 25 year old demographic, is that there's this crisis because they don't feel like they belong. They don't feel like they connect. And in many cases, because they lack a real tribe of close people that you can count on. Mm. And so another self-love practice, and I talk about it in the book, is developing a tribe to help in that supporting you because doing this by ourselves is tough. We can feel lonely. We can feel lost. And, you know, suicide rate is at an all-time high because there's this, because we live, we no longer live in tribes or as Hillary said, we need a village. And, yeah, and I think we're kind of expected to be independent. Yeah, exactly. We are, like, we, we are taught to individuate. Get, it's 18. Get the fuck out of the house. No, we need to stay in our homes much longer with our family to feel the roots and connection that we can get from family. If, if, not that everybody has that ability, but certainly if you don't, create one. Yeah, I was amazed. And you know, in the intro, I talked about sort of going through a tough time over the last few weeks. Yeah. And uh, I just started, you know, again, it's like self-love. It's like, okay, I know what I'm meant to do. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I should reach out. I should reach out for help, you know, rather yeah. than just sit here and suffer. And I was amazed, you know, I started reaching out to my friend Helen, my friend Ada, my brother yeah. Jason, my mother's amazing in this scenario, went for a coffee with my friend Mark here. And they all just were so uh, warm and they're incredible. They're all coaches. So they're all incredible yeah. listeners and they can hold space. They don't try to fix it. They don't try to solve it. And I was like, oh man, like I, I was just so grateful in that moment for this, my tribe, for the, the group yeah. of people that I've surrounded myself with and that they all showed up when I asked. They were all there for me. Yeah. And so this is uh, everything we're talking about today for some reason is very real for me. It's like, it's very present for me, everything that you bring up. No, I can feel it in your energy. I can tell that you're going through your own, for lack of a better word, cocoon. You know, you're going through a transformation yeah. in your life. And, and I can tell you from, again, this is a person 20 years your senior. You're going to have multiple experiences like this. You're going to, it's this life, is not the only one. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 man. Look at, I did all this self love and my son passed away. Then yeah. my father left all this stuff. So it's, Life is a journey and it's much like a roller coaster. Some have very mild roller coasters in their lives. Some have some chaotic roller coasters. Some roller coasters need maintenance and whatnot. But yeah, no, you're going through this. And so, and I think Oprah said this on one of her Super Soul Sundays. You know, she said, when I let go of trying to 
figure out the future and just appreciate the now, it freed her up because it was all, you know, it's, it's that worry about the future, worry about the future and then, or ruminating on the past. And so you're just going through this one cocoon phase of your life and you'll break through it. And then you'll, you'll get to another phase in your life and you'll go through a cocoon phase and, and you might withdraw within and then you'll break through that. It's just also having that belief in yourself that, hey, you're allowed to have a bad day. Just don't let yourself sit in it for too long. Yeah. You don't, you can make the choice not to sit in it too long. Yeah. Eckhart Tolle said something very profound on that interview with Oprah. He said, there's a common new age thing where people say, well, you chose this. You know, your son died. Well, you chose this. You know, which he said, like, it's a little bit on the nose. And for most people, they can't really resonate with that. Because they didn't, I, can I, I want to respond feel. to that in particular, by the way. Well, let, let me just finish this yeah, one. Yeah, no, finish, point, please, please, he, please. He said, uh, a better way to say it is act as if you chose it. Act as if you chose it. And what that does is it, instead of reacting to something happens to you, an external yeah. thing happens to you, instead of reacting and going, oh, shit, this thing's happened, I've got to do this. He said, first of all, take a minute, breathe, come into the present moment, act as if you're choosing this thing happening to you, that brings a sense of calm, a sense of peace, a sense of allowing, and then take action from that place to respond to it. So I have a different take on that, slightly different, because I don't think I could subscribe to the idea I chose my son passing away. And and let me just share with you why. He was the one who chose to pass away. I didn't choose that. He chose it. How I choose to experience the loss is my reality. How I choose to identify with that loss, how I choose to cope with the loss, that's all on me. And i that's where the choice comes in because that's why I just want to differentiate because yes, I could say I created my world. You know, from the spiritual plane and for those in the the new age world, you know, we create everything in our lives. Yes, I created a son and probably on some spiritual level before he was born, maybe my, you know, my spirit knew that would happen. But I, I, I only differentiated is he was the one who chose to leave. I just decided to choose how I'm going to respond to it and then create my reality from there. And so the reason why I want to differentiate that, because it's hard for a lot of people to take in the idea that they chose tragedy in their lives. or And, and certainly it could be tragedies such as abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse and loss and beating, you know, I and mean, we could start going down the gamut. And I can tell you, it'd be, it's hard to convince someone that they chose that, but you do have a choice how you can respond to it. And that's the way I approach it, just slightly different. Uh, two other questions I want to get to uh, sure. before we wrap up. And it's around being in relationship. So after okay. the dating period, when you're in relationship, uh, what happens when you know life gets in the way of love? You, you love someone, you're in a relationship. What happens when shit just gets in the way? Life happens. Yeah. And also just, I'm interested in your thoughts around codependence and breaking free of that. Wow. Okay. So when life gets in the way. So it's interesting because imagine for a moment I had began dating someone and was beginning to form a relationship when my son passed away. How would I navigate those those two experiences in my life? Because it's not going to be, you know, the loss of a child. That's kind of an extreme, but it could be 
a health issue. It could be another family issue. Life is always happening when you're in the dating dynamic. I think the most important thing is to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable with the people that you're engaging in. I think what's missing in the dating realm today is a lack of building true friendship with another human being. You know, it's all about what I can get instead of what I can give. And is this person really becoming my friend? Mm. I'm always fascinated when I talk to women and they're calling me up, the guy broke up with me, blah, blah, blah. And I go, how really good friends were you? And she goes, well, we weren't really that good of friends. I'm like, <laughs> really? You're, you're freaking out over this guy who isn't your best friend, you know, because here's the thing. When friends break up, it's a conscious uncoupling. It's very, it can be a very, I was just going to say more graceful experience than the traumatic ones when it's ego-based relationships. So, but I'm a huge proponent of investing and building the solid friendship. You ask anyone who's been married 40, 50, 60, 66 years, like my parents, they all say the same thing. I married my best friend. So that's hugely important in the process. As far as codependency, you know, that's where self-love comes in because codependency isn't, I mean, if we look at codependency, it's in direct correlation for a lack of person's self-love. When you need someone else to make you feel good or feel like you have purpose and whatnot, that's because your love cup is not being filled on a regular mm. basis. So by you, by, by yes, by yourself. So codependency is an absolute correlation to the amount of lack of self-love you have. Mm. And now how do you recognize the, it? Now that was just about what I was going to say. How do you recognize codependency? Well, when someone, you know, when you, anytime you get triggered by another person's actions, that's usually a result of your own lack of self-love. So first start being aware of when you get triggered. Now, for some people, even the concept of being triggered is too much for them. I recommend going to relationship workshops and, or, and, and I, I'm going to recommend a book for your audience. John Gottman wrote an amazing book called Eight Dates. Dr. John Gottman. John Gottman is a therapist who could literally within 15 minutes sit down with a couple and with 97% accuracy tell that couple whether or not they're going to make it. This is yes, in couples amazing. therapy. Yeah. So he wrote this book, Eight Dates, about really the eight most important things for, within relationship. How that relates to codependency is when you actually invest in understanding that there's you there's me, and then there's a relationship over here. Relationship is a separate entity. Three parts. That's where you want to, you know, codependency is a lack within yourself. But when you recognize that the relationship's a separate entity, it's not about the other person. It's about investing in the entity itself. I think that will help determine and recognize codependency for those who are unaware of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. We had a guy I was just on the fly. <laughs> yeah. We actually had a guy, uh, one of the head guys of the Goldman Institute came on the show about a year ago and was uh, a guy, Kyle Benson. Very, very good episode, actually, yeah. if you want to learn more about the Gottman work, because that is fascinating that, you know, 97% accuracy is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I think it got, I've got it down to about 80%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jonathan, it's been wonderful spending time with you. Thanks yeah, for uh, hanging out with us. Uh, yeah, where do people find you if they want to learn more about your coaching work? Uh, 
Well, absolutely. So my name is Jonathan Asley and my website is jonathanasley.com. You can just Google it and, uh, and you could also Google, um, selflovethebook.com, selflovethebook. I don't know if you'll have some sort of link right here uh, as well, but, um, but yeah, I've got my website. I've got tons of content there. I've got a fantastic membership group called Midlife Love Mastery for 20 bucks a month. It's an amazing community where I shoot videos on a daily basis and uh, I do a monthly call to the group. Uh, we got tons of lots and lots of people in there. So, and it's a buck to start. So it, you know, it's not that big of a deal to join. It's awesome. I love that stuff. Final question before we wrap up. It's sure. a, a crowd favorite. What's your dark side? The, you know, we, we talk a lot about the beautiful things and all the stuff you've worked through and everything. For balance, what, what's the dark side in you? And how have you, how have you managed to embrace the darker parts of yourself? Mm, well, how much time do we have on this one? Um, <laughs> Three minutes, so, 15. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I recently went to the Insight seminars and I did some work on this particular subject for me. My dark side is both a person who thinks he's really stupid and what the counterbalance to that is there's an there's a part of me that has is very self-righteous. So I, in other words when I put content out there I beat myself up. I said something wrong, I said something stupid, I typed your, you know, you are as y o u r, you know, without the apostrophe r e, you know, like things like that and I beat myself up for being stupid. And then how I, what happens is my, my dark side then over trumps that by being completely righteous about how I show up. So I'm aware that these are facets of my, my personality. And now that I'm aware of it, I'm actually doing a daily practice on affirmation to help me to navigate that. And I'll, I'll share with the group with that. If you're interested, it's taking yeah. three and a half seconds. It goes, uh, I'm confident, smart, ambitious, loving myself and others. I'm confident, smart, ambitious, loving myself and others. And I say that a hundred times a day. And I've been doing that consistently every day for the last 120 days. And I've been noticing a, a definitely a, a slight change in how I feel because my dark side has ruled me for a very long time. And that's not how I want mm -hmm. to show up anymore. Yeah, it's a big one. I guess last week, John Henderson, we talked about it. You know, uh, he dropped out of high school and mm. just a lot of those feelings of not feeling smart or not feeling intelligent, they can be very yeah. pervasive and, and go a long time if you don't deal with them. Yeah. It's That's part one of, of my, my big ones. Yeah. It's part of my one as well. Jonathan, this is wonderful. You're a wonderful soul and a beautiful human. <laughs> Thanks for well, sharing with us. It's so good uh, having you here. Well, thank you. Likewise, I really appreciate it, Nathan. Great. And we'll try and get people to uh, check out the book. We'll put a link for the book uh, down below. Hope you'll come back again soon. I would like that. Thanks so much. Thank you. Guys, thanks for uh, tuning in. As always, thanks for being here. Uh, if you got something out of this or you think somebody you know would get something out of this, someone in a relationship, somebody that's dating, someone that's struggling with the, the app culture and dating, uh, share this with them and hopefully we can help them out. Give it a like, give it a share, and I'll love you forever. Go and check out Jonathan's website, jonathanaslay.com or selflovethebook.com. And that's all from us. I'll be back next week with episode number 95 of The Nathan Seward Show. That was The Nathan Seward Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life.